Thank you for listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these sermons or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com. And now, here's this week's sermon. Morning, church. Let's open our Bibles to James chapter 1. We'll be in James 1 this morning as our primary text in this message. If you're uh, visiting Christ Church, my name is Mark, and I get to be one of the ministers here, and I'm really honored to be able to be a part of this team, and we're glad you're with us this morning in worship. A little bit of family news as we get going. We're going to remind you that next Sunday night in this room at 5 p.m. is our Big Splash. Uh, Big Splash is a primary night for those of you who have never entered into that relationship with Jesus Christ through baptism. We want to encourage you to do that. Uh, It is a proclamation. It's a public demonstration of your cleansing and your faith in him. And uh, we know that there are a number already that have uh, let us know that they intend to be a part of that night by being baptized. If you're interested in that, you can go to the webpage and just click on the big splash uh, icon and it will give you a registration form. You can ask any question you need to ask and get any information you need to get. Uh, If you don't prefer to do it that way, come see me out at the prayer center in the foyer Uh, at the conclusion of any of our services, and we'll be happy to get your information and answer any questions that might help you. Uh, You can also go to the tables with lamps on them at the end of the message and uh, for prayer and encouragement. And we just want to encourage you to to participate this morning and respond and see how the Lord is moving in your lives. Uh, We are in this series of Corrective Lenses. We're in the second to last week as we look at some of the concepts that we face to correct our vision so we can see the world the way God has displayed it for us that we can turn off all the noise and distractions and we can focus on the things that God tells us are important and how do we live in light of that. Today we're going to focus on one of the greatest challenges to our faith, and that's suffering. Uh, what What do we do when life doesn't go by script? How do we face this? And to be able to talk about suffering well, we need to talk about a term called the sovereignty of God. Sovereignty, as we've reminded you many times, is not a word that's used very often outside of the church. It is a theological word. It's contained in the church. But sovereignty is displayed all over your life. Sovereignty is when someone has complete control to do what they choose to do. Many of us work in environments where there's someone over us. It's their company. They get to make the choices. And if you don't like it, you can what? Leave. There are some churches, unfortunately, that are run under the sovereignty of one person, and that's unfortunate, because I don't think any of us can handle sovereignty well. But I know the one who can, and that would be God. Now, to understand sovereignty, you have to ask yourself the question, when is the sovereignty of God most in question? For many of us in this discussion, you're going to go, of course, it's God's world. He created us. He let us live in it. He should be in charge of everything. The problem comes for many of us is what happens when life doesn't go by script, then we have to wonder if God is really in charge. Or if God doesn't fix our problems, if he doesn't take away our pain, if he doesn't answer every one of our requests, is he still God? Is he still sovereign? Now, some of you might be thinking, because we have talked about suffering and the sovereignty of God, you know, some people may say to me, isn't this like the fifth sermon on suffering and sovereignty? No, you're mistaken. It's the sixth. If you go back to January, you'll see that in the God Is series, we talked about suffering. Uh, Four different times in the Building on Hope 
series through 1 Peter this summer. We talked about how do we face suffering and why does God allow us to go through it. So today as we proceed, I want us to talk about the sovereignty of God in the face of a suffering world. Sovereignty is defined in the Eastern Bible Dictionary as God's absolute right to do all things according to his own good pleasure. We are his. This world is his. It all belongs to him, which is why we believe that having a corrected worldview in line with what God has revealed in his truth is important. It's necessary. And I'll even go so far as to say I believe it's life-saving. I believe in the sovereignty of God. I don't believe it's optional. I don't believe it's occasional. He is either all in charge of me or he is not in charge of me at all. And the sovereignty of God is a deal breaker for many people. So let's answer our first question. What do we do when the sovereignty of God hurts? When God's control doesn't rescue and save us. When God allows us to go through difficulties. James chapter 1 verses 2 and 3. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. The sovereignty of God includes the trials and difficulties we face. Now notice that James does not say if you undergo difficulties. He says when you undergo difficulties. Now let's clarify something for for initial reasons and purposes. The suffering that we endure most often is our own fault, and sometimes it isn't. And many of us want a God who would never let us go through a difficult circumstance because we say, if God loved me, then he would not allow this to have happened. Some of it is a reaction to sin in a broken world, and some of it is a process by which which God allows it for a greater purpose than we imagine. The word testing that James uses has a connotation. It's also used by Peter in First and Second Peter, and it's also used by the author of the book of Hebrews. So this is not just James' idea. This permeates your New Testament. That this concept of trials and testing is interesting. Because James says that God never tempts us, but he will test us. And it's, it's the concept of smelting. If you would take a precious metal like silver or gold, and you would put it under intense heat, The impurities in the gold will pour out and be separated from the valuable things that cannot be ruined by the fire. Testing and trials is the means by which God purges us from us things that we've never needed or added to our lives that are unnecessary. Sometimes God allows us to suffer because it is good for us, but he's always with us in our suffering. And some of us in this room are suffering right now. In our first worship hour, I looked out in the room and and I saw a friend who's separated from his family. I looked out in the room and I see a woman undergoing breast cancer. I look at another couple and and I know what they're going through in their marriage due to a disclosure and a confession of sin. And I look in these circumstances and I'm thinking, suffering's not to be made light of, nor is there a bumper sticker answer to this. But there is a truth that's being revealed to those of us that are suffering right now. There is hope. Because the suffering that we go through does not disprove God. The suffering we go through will prove him if we will go through it. If we will endure it. If we will trust him in it. There is no suffering that can disprove God. But it is amazing. That suffering has caused more people to walk away from God than any other thing they have faced. 
because they don't have the desire to have a God who won't do what they want him to do. Timothy Keller has the best argument. He said, the fallacy of walking away from God when you're suffering is that does not stop your suffering. Which ought to prove to every one of us that's a mistake. It's to say that if I'm suffering, there is no God and walk away. Does that change anything? Absolutely not. It only ruins the hope that you're to hold on to. Suffering reveals the brokenness sin has brought into our world and into our lives. Now, hear me clearly. Not everyone who suffers did it to themselves. But it reveals that there are evil people out there. And that evil has permeated this world. And it has too much of a voice and way too much influence. Keller also says redemption didn't come in spite of suffering. Redemption comes because of suffering. What Jesus endured for all of us, his suffering brought us hope. But if I can just say this clearly, in our American culture, we are opposed to the sovereignty of God. If God doesn't fix everything, then he's not a loving God, and that's not true. Why would our world say this? Why is it, why is it out there? I mean, just interestingly enough, I listened to some podcasts this week, and they had to do with sports. I know that'll shock you. And while listening to them, I heard even in a sports broadcast about professional football, Someone make a crack about, and if there were a God, and he scoffingly said it. And I wonder what's going on in his life that he can't look around and see that there is a good God who cares. Because our culture says that if you are not having everything you want, and if anybody ever does anything bad to you, that proves there is no God, and somebody needs to fix that. Keller, uh, Tim Keller says that we live in a crybaby, sue-happy culture. If I don't get everything I think I deserve, I'm going to sue somebody until I get it. And yet the truth of the matter is I go back to the original fallacy. Does that ever make up for the suffering you've gone through? And then one just big point I want to add. If God allows us to go through difficulties to remove things out of our life that we don't need, like our selfishness, like our dependency on things that will never last, if God allows that, then I have one question for those who believe that you should never suffer if there is a God. Did God require Jesus to suffer? And if he did, did Jesus ever doubt there was a God through the suffering? Absolutely not. So there is someone to follow, an example to be led, that God required of his own son more than he requires of any of us. So what are we to do when we face suffering? Well, I'm going to, before we read the verses 3 and 4 there, I'd like to define suffering the way my grandfather taught it to me. Now, he didn't make me suffer a whole lot. But my grandfather had an expression for what you do in the face of suffering. Well, now, let's go ahead. Let's just read verse 3 and 4, and I'll tell you what it is. James says, Consider it joy, pure joy, which is weird, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. Very fascinating verses there about how James describes this process. My grandfather had a term for that word perseverance. It was stay put. He was this little Irishman. He was a thousand years old, very wise and ornery. Now, when my dad would take me into like a hardware store, we'd go into Kmart to get something for around the house, my dad would use an expression. He'd say, stay close. What he wanted to know is where I was going to be. 
When he went to the hardware place or to get something like that, I could go to the Matchbox Toys and I could look at the cars and I could stay in the sporting good area and my dad could look down the aisle and he could see me and that's what his definition of stay close was. I learned really quickly when my grandfather said stay put, he meant do not move. Blinking, maybe. (laughs) Breathing, don't. And when you would wander a foot away, that little old man would grab my earlobe with both of his fingers and his fingernails and pinch and it hurt. And he'd look at me, stay put. Oh, you mean die, okay. (laughs) Perseverance is staying put. It means staying where God has you until he moves you. When grandpa said, come on, we're going to go, then you stopped staying put and you moved with him. This is what I believe perseverance is biblically. It's standing firm. It's holding on. It's trusting that where you're at may not be where you want to be, but it's where he has you and you live with that. You see, it requires, though, a new perspective. If we're going to learn to persevere and stay put with God, we're going to have to understand that when James says, consider it pure joy, that we need to remember this truth. If God can resurrect Jesus from the grave, he can get you out of your hell. Now that sounds really good on stage, but some of you are in that hell right now. And you're probably more uncomfortable that I'm saying hell so much. But it feels like it, doesn't it? What is hell? The absence of God. The pressure. The the feeling that this will never end. And some of us are in a hell right now. And I have to ask you, if the God who allowed Jesus to suffer, to redeem all of us from the darkness, if he would raise him from the grave to prove he never abandoned Jesus, will he abandon you? So count it pure joy. When you undergo trials, it's not because you're not emotionally and socially and physically spent. It's not sucking it up and acting like it's not horrible. It's realizing that the God who has you in that moment can get you out of that moment when it's the right time. Church, can I have an amen? Amen. You see, when you look at the suffering, you need to look at the sovereignty. Now, I had a lady come talk to me at the prayer center this morning. Wow. Her story shakes my knees. It's hard to stay put. What she's gone through in her life, the things that were done to her as a young girl... And she says, every day of my life, I wonder, where was God when all that was going on? I'd love to have an answer. But I know that the God that's redeeming her right now and the God that's caring for her right now, he's working in her life. He's never abandoned her nor forsaken her. And she wishes he'd have come in and saved the day. And I don't know why he didn't. But she can testify today she knows God's there for her. And he's gotten her through that horrific moment. James says that perseverance must finish its work. We have to stay put. And, and our... Our desires to run away. I don't know where this comes from, and I don't say this because I want you to think I'm a good person, because I know I'm not. But I've been struggling in my heart when I pray for what's going on with that group, ISIS, and what they're doing to believers in Jesus. My heart hurts because there have been people who have had their children taken from them, held at gunpoint, and if they don't denounce Jesus Christ, their children are going to die. And some of them have stood fast and trusted in even the death of their child that God will win this thing and they have proclaimed Christ and paid a great price for that. And there have been some who in that moment were overcome and they said what they needed to say to protect their child's life and I'm here to tell you, I believe that my God is as merciful to them as anybody. 
and he, he, will, he will be with them. And they are dying a thousand deaths every day knowing that in their panic and in their turmoil and in their pain, they fell to the weakest part of who they were. Is there anyone in this room who can't understand that? No, because we all know that that God who loved them through that moment will redeem even that moment, even though they wish they'd have done different. You see, that's the sovereignty of the God I believe in. But I'm scared some of us don't believe in that God. One mistake in this world, and whose fault is it? God's. But what does that solve? It's just a protection. It's an illogical response to the pain. But perseverance, when it finishes its work, will make you complete, lacking nothing. Meaning that God can bring the best out of you through the worst moments of your life. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul wrote these words. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Light and momentary troubles. Do you know what Paul's talking about? He's talking about three times being beaten with 39 lashes and having his body laid open. He's talking about being beaten so thoroughly and stoned on two occasions that they thought he was dead and they left him thinking they had completed the task. He had been shipwrecked in the ocean for days. He had done all of this for the purposes of Christ. From the moment that man became a believer to the moment they took his life, he suffered. He lived away from his family. He lived on the run. He was constantly planting churches and running from those trying to kill him. He did all of this work. And listen to what he says to us. In light of all the price I paid for the kingdom of God, it was light and temporary compared to what I'm going to receive for having trusted my God. The sovereignty of God can overcome no matter what we face. And how does that work? Because trials show us, they give us self-knowledge and humility. They reveal to us our own limitations. Trials show us some of the things we thought we couldn't live with, we can. It just reveals to us a truth. That yes, God never said I'm, I'm going to give you a comfortable, easy life if you follow me. I'm going to make you rich and famous and prosperous and healthy. He did not. He didn't, re- he didn't give that to Jesus. Why would he give that to me? But my God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Daniel, go in the lion's den. You won't get a fur on you. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, go into the fire. You'll come out, you won't even smell like smoke. But when they shoved Daniel into the lion's den, I wonder on the fall to the bottom what he thought. When Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said to the king, go ahead and blow your trumpets. We're not going to bow. They expected to die. Did they die? No. They survived. Why did they survive? Because they trusted. And they went into the flames fully willing. And James is not saying suffering is not a big deal. James is saying suffering is an incredible thing. It's horrific and it's redeeming. It's perfect. And it also gives us not only a new perspective, but it teaches us how to have a disciplined trust. Look at verses 5 through 8 with me. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. Hey, hold on to verse 5 if you're hurting today. Because James says, ask God what's going on, and, and it will be given to him. And God won't find fault with you. God won't say, how dare you question me? I am sovereign God. 
No, the goodness of God breaks out. And God says, no, my child, ask me. It's that moment when you discipline your child and a few minutes later they want to come sit in your lap and if you're anything like me, you're still mad and you're like, no, no lap, no lap for you. (laughs) And God's like, no, 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 come here, come here. I want you to run back to me. I want you to ask me the hard questions and I can show you in my love what I'm doing. James goes on, but when you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Because he who doubts is like the wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. Ask the Lord. Isaiah 26, 8 says, yes, Lord, walking in the ways of your laws, we wait for you. Your name and renown are the desires of our hearts. We're waiting. Because you will answer. You will reveal. You may not give me words, but you're going to see me through this. And on the other side of it, it's all going to become clear. We see dimly now. We will see clearly then. But we must let the work of testing have its way. One of the passages that has always been a favorite of mine, it's one of the few things I memorized in Bible camp, I can still say to this day. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. In the circumstances you're in, God is not enjoying your disorientation. When James says don't doubt, that doesn't mean that you should have no questions about why is this happening? What is going on? What am I supposed to do? That's not doubt. Disorientation is a part of doubt. When when you're under a cabinet grabbing something and you come up too quickly and you bang your head. That feeling overwhelms you. And the first question in your mind is, what was that? And then you go, oh, it was stupid me. I should have pulled back before I stood up. But in that disorientation, what do you vow in that moment? Note to self. Let someone else get under the sink. That hurt. In the suffering we go through, this disorientation, seek the Lord and he will show you what brought this about and what you're to do within it and how he makes you complete and he drives you through this. See, I want you to see that what we've been doing in this Corrective Lens series is building this model for us to have stability with. Why should we examine our lives and test the things we believe are true? What is my purpose in being alive? What... What responsibilities has God given me? What is the value of every one of you to me? And how am I to see you and treat you in light of that? What is this gift called the church community? And how is it to strengthen me? And how am I to strengthen you? How am I to view my body versus my soul? And can I do things with my body that say they have nothing to do with my soul when God poured my soul into this body and this body is the manifestation of what my soul believes? And what am I to do with this gift of time? And when life doesn't go by script, do any of those previous things we've talked about matter? Or is simply God not God because I'm not happy? Or my life didn't go by script? You see, this all fits together in a worldview that says, I'm going to remain faithful. Because doubt doesn't mean I'm uncertain. Doubt means that when I'm disoriented, I go back to the one I trust the most. For some of us, suffering reveals that we trust our money most, or our health most, or our friendships most, or doubt can lead you to trusting God most. 
by faith. The Greek word for doubt is a Greek word that means not divided in your loyalties. That you choose that this day, me and my house will serve the Lord. Or you choose that me and my house will choose comfort and health and prosperity and achievement. In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus concludes the Sermon on the Mount with this wonderful illustration of the sand and the rock. And he says, the person who builds their house, interesting term, their home, their life, on the sand, when the storms come, it's going to take that foundation, there is no foundation, and that house cannot stand up on its own, and it will collapse. In fact, Jesus said, and great will be its fall. But those who build on the foundation of the stone, when the storm comes, and it will, Those that are built on a firm foundation, that foundation will strengthen the structure of that home and it will survive it. And it will have made it because of the foundation, not because of the structure. What he's telling us is that many of us have a foot in the sand and a foot on the rock. And we say in America, well, that's better than just being in the sand. And Jesus says in Revelation, no, I'd rather have you be hot or cold than in this middle game, this nonsense. With the two streams pouring together around the city of that church, one hot and one cold, it had this putrid smell. And Jesus said, I'd spit you out of my mouth to have fresh water and nasty water combined. This whole series is asking us to move our home off of the sand and put it on the rock. And it's going to take hard work and it's not going to be easy, but trials and tests are on their way. And when they hit us, if you're not in them now, I don't wish you ill, but you better get ready because when trials and temptations come, that's not the time to decide what you'll do. When trials and temptations come, you will prove what you've already decided to do. Run or stand Stay put. Stay right here. Sometimes does it feel like God's reaching out and pinching your earlobe? Yeah. Even worse. But he's saying, stay here. Persevere. Put your feet on the rock and don't move. And I will sustain you. He may not move us out of the storm. He may not shelter us in the palm of his hand. But he will be with us and we will, we will make it because we've stood on him. It's what it means to persevere, what it means to hold on. And that's why this series is telling us to build our house on the truth of what God has revealed to us and not what the world promises that it can't keep its promises with. So how do we live through the sovereignty of God? There's no simple recipe. Staying put is hard. It's against our nature. We all want to dodge and run when times get tough. We want to medicate. We want to entertain. We want to drink. We want to party. We want to forget. And it doesn't change your reality. You'll wake up the next day with a hangover and more problems. So what do we do? How do we do this? James 1.12 says, Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, who stays put, keeps his feet on the rock, because when he has stood the test... He will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. J.R.R. Tolkien, in a a series of stories called The Cimmerillion, which if you've studied The Lord of the Rings or you've watched a 19-hour movie fest that is The Lord of the Rings, you know the story. Cimmerillion is the story that took place in an ancient world that's all fabled, but an ancient world that precedes what The Lord of the Rings brings about. And in there, there's a great character called Huron. 
Kieran is one of these uh, images that Tolkien had of a person who, who knew who they were and stood up for what was right. And he's an amazing character. But in the, there's one particular story where in the Cimmerillion, he's fighting a great battle with his friends and some warriors, and they've allowed the chosen one, the one that needs to be protected, they, they've stood their ground, they're persevering against this war so that he can get away and be protected. He's the one that's going to save future generations. So they give themselves to this moment. And this great battle with the orcs is all displayed and they're attacking and the numbers are whittling down and Huron is standing there and then he's the only one remaining and he's standing in the gap and he has a two-headed axe and he he wields this axe and the story goes on as the orcs attack him he wields the axe 70 consecutive times and every time he wields the axe as the sun is setting and he knows as the darkness is coming upon him that he's not going to be able to see the enemy approaching and his moments are numbered every time he swings the axe he cries out day shall come again Day shall come again. Day shall come again. He does what he does because he has a hope that when the sun rises in the morning, that good can beat evil, that there is a purpose for this. And they overwhelm him in the darkness. After the 70th swing, the numbers come in and they trample him and carry him away as a prisoner. Day shall come again. Hebrews chapter 12 says, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you may not grow weary and lose heart. Day shall come again. There's a a psalm, the 30th psalm. It says, for his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may remain for a night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. Day shall come again. You have cancer. The morning will come, and it will be a new day. Day shall come again. Your family's a mess, and your marriage is on its last thread. We know that's hard. We know that will take work. And we know that God can redeem it. Amen, church? Day shall come again. You don't get your kids and they don't get you. They're living a life you don't want them to live. Day can come again. Wield the axe. Stand firm. Don't move your feet. Jesus Christ is real. The God of sovereignty is all around us. He may be silent in this moment, but his presence is here. He can redeem this. If he can pull Jesus from the grave, he can get you out of your hell. But you must stay put. The sovereignty of God is proven in the way we suffer and how we choose to trust him when we don't know what else to do. Day shall come again. Let's stand together. Thank you for listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these sermons or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com.